The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. We've been dealing with the question, how big is your God? And on this last Sunday of 2019, I can't think of a better question for us to ask ourselves than how big is our God? Now remember... How big we think he is has nothing to do with how big he really is, okay? He's big. (laughs) Whether you think he is or not, he's big. What we're talking about here is not going to help God. He doesn't need any help. He's big enough already. But what we're talking about in this series, I hope, is going to help us. Because how big we perceive our God to be is in direct proportion to how obedient we are to him, how blessed we are by him, and how able we are to deal with the problems and the frustrations of life. I don't know about you, my life has problems. My life is full of frustrations. My life has tribulations and troubles and, and any, I could go on and on. The things that I'm facing are things that you have faced or are facing, and maybe they're different in, in degree or quality, but they're really the same. They're tribulations. And how big I see my God as makes a difference in how well I deal with these kinds of problems, the problems of life. Now Genesis, we've been in Genesis for a while, starting in chapter 37. And now we've made it up to chapter 41. Now you'll remember In chapter 37, we began with Joseph as a little shepherd boy helping to tend to his father's flocks. We ended that with him being a slave in Egypt. And and we like the Cinderella story. Everybody likes that. I like to see somebody rise up in the ranks. and, And there's a great degree. There's some of that in this story, but not yet. Not at this point. We've been through chapters 39 and 40. And we've seen him rise up a little bit and then he gets knocked right back down. And, and, and in both cases, in chapter 39, he started out in prison and, cha- and ended in prison. In chapter 40, he started out in prison and ended in prison. He's still in the place of frustration and problems. Now remember too that Joseph, we know how his story ends. But Joseph didn't. He, he had no idea. He, he couldn't see the rest of He couldn't turn to the back of the book and read the ending because he just didn't know. He had to take it one step at a time. And, and, and that's the point of, of all of this uh, uh, preaching that I've been trying to do lately. It's been to point out to us that we are no different than Joseph. He is no different than us. Now, yes, we know he's, and we're going to see in chapter 41, his rise from the prison to the palace. But one thing we're going we're gonna to learn through the rest of his story is that that is not the end of it. You know, in Cinderella, once the, the prince uh, places the, the glass slipper on her foot and, and, and marries her, they live happily ever after. But see, that's just not the way it works in real life. There's an aftermath. There's an epilogue to the story. And there's an epilogue, there's an aftermath. In fact, it's not really an aftermath or an epilogue. It's just the continuing story of the life of Joseph. 
he's going to need God just as much in the palace as he needed him in the prison. And beloved, I want to say to you, no matter where you are in life, your degree, the degree of, by which you need God or the degree to which you need God is not going to change whether you're in the prisons of this world or whether you're in the palaces of this earth. You need him the same wherever you are. Now chapter 41 is not the end of the story, but it does provide us a vantage point by which to view God's working in Joseph's life. As I've already said, his life is no fairy tale. We're going to see him rise from the prison to the palace. And I'll go ahead and give you a little insight into what that's going to mean. This promotion is not for Joseph's personal benefit. It's going to benefit him personally. But God had a purpose in his providential dealings with Joseph that went well beyond Joseph himself. And let me let you in on a little secret. The providential dealings that God has with you go far beyond you yourself. As we've said many times, as I've said many times from this pulpit, just remember, it ain't about you. <laughs> it ain't about you. You know, if we'll keep that perspective, it'll help us through a lot of issues in life. It'll sure help us in church. It'll help you in family, <laughs> too. You know, it ain't all about you, you see. It ain't all about me. It's about God and His purposes in life. But there is a good lesson here. And, and the lesson is this, is that when we are in God's will and we're doing God's will, trying to fulfill his purpose, we do tend to experience great blessings. They're not always as manifest and, 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 and uh, dealing with worldly prosperity as Joseph's. They're often just spiritual, but that's a great blessing. So how big is God? How big is he? Is he really big enough to help Joseph in the prison and also to guide Joseph in the palace? Well, let's start this morning with a little refresher course on the sovereignty of God. Let's start there, okay? Let's start off. I can't think of a better way to end 2019 and to begin 2020. Let's just remember, first of all, how big God really is. We know from the scriptures that he is all powerful or the word omnipotent applies to him. Okay. He is all powerful <laughs> over in Daniel. You know, one of the most famous statements about the, uh, the sovereignty of God came not from a preacher or a prophet or a priest, but from a pagan King, <laughs> a, a, a King named Nebuchadnezzar who had experienced the chastening of God in his life because he got lifted up with pride and left God out of all of his accomplishments. But when he got brought back to himself in Daniel chapter 4 and verse, uh, uh, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever. <clears throat> whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. That sounds like a pretty big God. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar has seen the bigness of God in a very real way. And listen to this. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, 
what doest thou? Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar had a pretty big view of God. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar's God was a pretty big God. <laughs> you know, I've read about the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods, and even Zeus, or the Roman counterpart Jupiter, could have his plans thwarted from time to time. Now, he was powerful. He was a big God, but he had to scheme and, and connive and plan, and sometimes he'd get mad and upset because men had messed up his plans or some other God had messed up his plans. But according to Nebuchadnezzar, this God doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And not only can none stay his hand, you can't even question him. <laughs> not legitimately. Oh, we do it all the time. But you can't legitimately question God. Why would you do that? Why? 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 We ask that question. And you know the response God gives when we ask it in a defiant way is, hey, I'm God. Okay? You're not. <laughs> Just remember that. Now, I will share this with you, that when you ask him in a meek and humble way, he tends to give you an answer. He tends to say, look, I am God, but here's what's happening. You know, so remember that he's not just a big God. He's not just sovereign. He's loving as well. <clears throat> but this God is a God whose plans can't be thwarted. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 115 and verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. <laughs> That's a pretty big God. I made a lot of plans. I made a lot of, you know, I, I was, we've been working on fences. And uh, I got out there one day by myself. And the reason I was out there is we got cows getting from one pasture. Ralph Jr., you know what I'm talking about. Getting from one pasture over into the green pasture that I'm trying to let grow up. I don't want them eating on it yet. I need to let, let the, the winter grazing get up a little higher. And, and I worked all day on that fence. I went out there and I, I pulled wire by myself. Finally, I think it was the same day Ashley came out and actually helped me on that fence. I felt sorry for me and I, I, needed, I was getting so frustrated. But I got that fence just where it needed to be, okay? And I was so proud. I had done what I planned to do, which is fence those cows off of that green hay field. And I laid down that night satisfied with the work I had done. I got up the next morning and rode over to the farm and four cows were on the hayfield. <laughs> what I had planned to do didn't get done, you know. I thought I had it done. I tried to get it done. But whatsoever my hand pleased, it doesn't always get done, you know. And I won't even tell you how frustrated and mad I was. <laughs> Took all of the... All of the uh, self-control that I had not to, uh, as they say, lose my religion. But God has plans. He has purposes. Whatever he desires to do, that's what he does. In Isaiah chapter 46, probably the most, I've I, I, I thought, I've loved this passage since I was a kid, since I first heard it uh, preached by uh, Brother Vaughn. Uh, heard that quoted many times by him and others in the churches where I grew up. In Isaiah 46, in verse, um, let's just begin in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning 
and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. <laughs> Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Let me stop right there and say this. His reference is to a future king of the Persians that's going to come in. He even names him by name. And God is saying here that in a providential way, I am working these things uh, uh, according to my purpose. Now, it's in a providential way, not in a predestinating way. Understand that. He's not predestinated these things from happening. Declaring the end from the beginning is a big difference than predestinating the end from the beginning and all things there between. But my point about that is this. Understand what he's saying here. This is, a, this is a verse about the sovereignty of God in providence. This is a verse about how, how God is working today providentially in a, in a way that it, it causes his, his purposes to be executed. And he says, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. <laughs> I like a God like that. I need a God like that. I don't need a God that can be thwarted by my plans. I don't need a God that can be flummoxed by what I do. <clears throat> he's all powerful. He's omnipotent. But he's not only all powerful, he's all wise and all-knowing or omniscient in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 uh, the verse is the basis for a song brother Tim wrote that we sing very often listen to this oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out oh the, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He is omniscient. And he goes on to say, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. So where'd God learn to be God? He didn't learn it from philosophers or teachers because he didn't have any of those. Nobody's been his counselor. He didn't have to go get advice from somebody to say, hey, I've got this little problem. Uh, uh, this thing called sin has entered into the world. Uh, how do I deal with it? He didn't have to take counsel from that. He didn't have to go ask somebody. He didn't have to get permission. <clears throat> See, God has always been God. In my little finite mind, I can almost fathom something that never ends. I can think about something beginning today and going forward in time forever and ever. But my little finite mind has a hard time comprehending something that never had a beginning. Something that just always has been. Something that goes on and on into eternity past and, and never ends. It's always been there. That, but that's God. God has always existed, and he's always existed as God. He's always been God. He had no counselors. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter, you don't have to turn there, but he says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? You want to go up and tell God what to do? <laughs> you want to go instruct the Lord? Lord, I, I know what you're doing over here, but I think you could do it better this way. <laughs> you ever been in a... Maybe some of you that have worked jobs for a long time. You ever, ever been in a job? You maybe worked there 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years or longer. 
you kind of the old old hat at this job. You kind of you know what you're doing, and then all of a sudden, somebody 18, 19, 20 years old, just hired on, comes in there and knows it all. They want to tell you how to do it. They're going to say, "Oh, I think we need to do this. I'll show you how to do that." Now, don't discount the fact that some of our young men and young women have some good ideas from time to time. We ought to accept them when they do. But just from, just think about that, how you feel when somebody comes up to you do, trying to tell you how to do something you know how to do and you've known how to do all of your life and you know how to do it well. And you're going to say, oh, thank you. You know, I, I appreciate all your wisdom here, but uh, I've been doing it this way for 40 years. I'm going to keep on doing it this way. Now, like I said, sometimes we can get in a rut. They used to say around our farm that there was a right way, a wrong way, and daddy's way. So that was kind of, sometimes we get into that and we think we know it all. But be that as it may, you've ever had somebody do that to you? Think about what God thinks. When you march right up to him and you say, Lord, I don't like the way you've done this. I think you need to do it a different way. Let's think about it in terms of salvation. Isn't that what most people, when you talk to them about what the Bible says, about how we're saved from our sins, that it's all of God, it's solely and wholly of God, that he chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world, and that in time Christ came and he died for that specific people so that he might accomplish, and he did, not might, but did accomplish uh, their, their eternal redemption on the cross, and that uh, in time he sends the Holy Spirit into their lives. They don't ask for it. They don't, uh, they don't pray for it. They, they get it. It's a gift from God that comes without request and without resistance. Uh, and then people will come in and say, well, I don't like that, Lord. That's not fair. <laughs> Think about God and his response. What are you talking about, man? In fact, his response in Romans 9, uh, when, it, when he's telling us about the doctrine of election, uh, he says in chapter 9 and verse uh, uh, verse 11, just for lack of time, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's God speaking here. That's God telling us how sal eternal salvation is accomplished. And then look at verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God, that's not fair. God, that's not right. You know how you feel when someone comes up to you to tell you how you need to do something you know how to do and have done that way and know it's the right way? Well, think about multiplying that by 10,000 times and think about what God thinks about that. You know what he thinks about it? He thinks, God forbid. <laughs> that's what he thinks. Who are you to come up here and tell me this? He saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he goes on to talk about Pharaoh, and he talks down in verse 19. He says, uh, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Again, questioning God. He says, Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Now, I don't want to continue on down this path because we could go on and on to the end of the hour. But look at this. He's saying, just remember, you're not God. I'm God. I'm the one that created you. And you're the created thing. I'm the potter. You're the clay. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. The potter makes the clay as he sees fit. <clears throat>
We're told in Isaiah 55 that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. You know why? Because he knows all. And he's all wise. He is omniscient. Something else about God that we don't need to forget is that he is omnipresent. He is in all places present and nowhere absent. The devil's not. Don't get that idea that the devil is able to be everywhere at once. He's not. God is the only one that's able to do that. He's greater than, than Satan in so many ways, in every way, but especially in that way. In Psalm 139, you know, there are times when I thought I'd like to hide from God. I'd like to, for the Lord not to see me doing things. Uh, maybe nobody knows about this, but the problem is, is that in Psalm 139, in verse 7, the psalmist there says, if I, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Well, maybe we can turn the lights out and God won't see it. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. <laughs> Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. That's my inward parts. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. You know, I can remember when we were expecting children. I could not wait to see what they were going to look like. But during the term of the pregnancy, they were hidden and covered in their mother's womb. But they weren't hidden from God. God knew exactly what these children were going to look like. Because in the womb, even, you cannot escape God. And, and because of his omnipresence, okay, because he's everywhere present and nowhere absent, we can trust that as Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, that he'll never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Listen to these words of Isaiah. In Isaiah 43 Verse 1, but now saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by, by thy name, thou art mine. Boy, that's comforting, isn't it? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now what assurance do we have that this is so? Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Amen. Oh, you don't tell me. Don't tell me the doctrines of grace aren't important in this life. I know they're eternally significant, but they're also timely significant. I need to know that my Savior is with me. I don't need to just know he's going to be with me one day. I need to know that because he is my savior, he's with me. And you know, that's why I can know that. That's why the hope I have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And that, that penetrates within the veil. In other words, it, even death can't demolish our hope. Dad is laying on his deathbed. We believe. And, and as, as sad as that is, as difficult as that is to watch someone you love uh, waste away 
into the, and, and slowly come down to the point of death. You know what? I'm not sorrowing about it with no hope. I'm excited for him. I'm excited that he is, he is going to see the Savior that saved him with an everlasting salvation, who loved him with an everlasting love, whose mercy on him was from everlasting to everlasting, and he's about to step through the doors of, of the everlasting gates, and he's going to see the everlasting God, the one who is named El Olam, which means forever and ever, the one of the God of eternity, the God who never ends. And, and so when he steps through those portals, uh, all of the problems of life, all of the things that afflicted him not just now but all throughout his 80 years will be gone for they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in him that's the hope I have and it's not based on something he did it's not based on something I did it's I'm not I'm not agonizing over hoping he did the right thing and made the right choices because God made that choice before the foundation of the world <laughs> that's the God that we're talking about. That's the big God that we're talking about here in, Ge in Genesis chapter 41. That's the sovereign God, the God who is all powerful, who is all wise, who is all knowing, who is all present. He is always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Boy, I need that. <clears throat> I don't mean to harp on my own personal situation, but y'all have to... <laughs> You know, one of the things about being a preacher is I can I can preach my life a whole lot about my life a whole lot better than I can preach about yours. Okay, but you know, Dad, using his situation as an example, Dad was one of the strongest men I've ever known. There's nothing he couldn't do. I mean, I'd get out there and farm, and I'd start trying to pick something up. You know, oh, it's heavy. Oh, you know, oh, I can't get it. Dad, come here, son. Let me show you. Get in there. He was smaller than I was, shorter than I was, weighed less, but older, and he'd get in there and grab it. He would take care of it. But you know what? We're having to take care of him now. He's not the same today as he was yesterday. He's not the same. Things have changed in his life. As much as I love and, and counted on him and still love him and count on him, he's not the same. And nobody in, our, in this room is the same. We're not the same, guys, as we were 10 years ago, okay? Things change in life. But praise God, my God is so big that he's the same yesterday and he's the same today and he'll be the same forever. We can rely on him. I need some stability in my life, especially in times when loved ones are passing or problems are arising in life. Issues are coming up that are, that are shaking my world, so to speak. I need a God who cannot be shaken. <laughs> That's the big God we're talking about. That's what scripture says about him. Now let's look at it in the time we have. Hopefully we can cover most of this. Let's look at God's sovereignty in action. Chapter 41 of Genesis. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now notice here that two full years have passed. As we switch gears and we get down to the practical application of our understanding of God, Remember that Joseph has been un, 
justly put in prison. He's been falsely accused of rape. He's been falsely accused of, of, of things that, that are just terrible to think about. And he's been put in prison. He's wrongly convicted, if you will. And then you remember the butler and the baker came into prison, the Pharaoh's butler and baker, and, and Joseph interpreted a couple of dreams for them. One of them was telling the baker that he was going to die, but the other one was telling the butler that he was going to be restored to his position as chief butler. And Joseph said, now, now when you get restored, this dream you've said, you've, you've told me about, uh, God has, in, has given me the interpretation, and God says in three days you're going to be restored to your position Remember me. Don't forget about me. Think on me, verse 14 said, when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee. In other words, don't forget about me languishing here in prison when the Lord blesses you uh, as I've told you that he will. But guess what happened? As happens often. Yep, the butler forgot. He forgot. And he didn't just forget for a little while. It didn't hit him two weeks later. It was two full years that passed. What do you suppose was going through Joseph's mind? Can't count on them any, anybody, can you? Oh my, you can't. You know, sometimes people tend to get cynical in a situation like this. They say, well, there it goes again. I'm just, there's no hope. There's God's, God's again. You know, sometimes they blame God. God, why are you doing this to me? God's against me. The truth of the matter is, we're told that if God be for us, who can be against us? We don't ever read about God being against us, do we? Not when we're being obedient. Now, there are times when you're... Remember, the story of Joseph is not about a disobedient child going down to the pig pens of this world and coming to himself and having an experience in the consequences of his foolish actions. Don't expect a Joseph story when you're a prodigal son, okay? Don't expect to be, to be blessed like Joseph when you're, doing, uh, when you're going down to the pig pen trying to feed the pigs, okay? But if you're like Joseph and trying to be obedient, when you're trying to serve God, you're still going to have problems. That's the story of Joseph is what happens when you're obedient. So apparently for two full years, he was forgotten. But I'm thankful that even when men forget, God doesn't. God doesn't forget. Men may forget. I may forget you. You know, I, I had that happen this week. I had, I think it was three different text messages that came in like last weekend. And I was going to respond to it. And then it hit me. I, said, I didn't respond. <laughs> Several days went by. I forgot. Don't rely on me. I'm not reliable. Let me tell you, God is reliable. Because see, God's still working. And notice, God gave some dreams to Pharaoh. These dreams were from God. It came to pass that Pharaoh dreamed in verse 1. And behold, we'll just read these so we'll get the full story. Verse 2, behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine, that's cows, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed. And stood by the other kind on the brink of the river, and the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and the fat kind. And Pharaoh woke up, and then he slept and dreamed a second time. And in this, this dream it says in verse 5, Behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. That means they were fat and nice, very, very good ears of corn. And behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them, and the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. 
And that troubled him. And he sent for his magicians and his wise men. And the last part of verse 8 says, Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. God gave these dreams to Pharaoh, the mightiest ruler at this day on the face of the earth. And yet he was helpless to understand his own dreams. He had no insight. You know, the things, you don't have to turn there, but in second, the first Corinthians chapter 2, beginning about verse 10 and on down to verse 16, you're going to read that the things of the Spirit can only be grasped by the Spirit. The things of the Spirit can only be grasped by the things, by spiritual, a spiritual mind, those that are in tune with God. James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 5 that wisdom is granted from above. Wisdom comes from God who grants to all men liberally. If you want wisdom, ask of God. He grants it liberally. Knowledge is one thing. Knowledge is great, and you need knowledge. You need to read the scriptures, but you need to pray for wisdom as to how to apply that knowledge. God gave dreams to Pharaoh, and then God gave wisdom to Joseph. Notice as we continue. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Two years passed. It's about time, old buddy. <laughs> he said Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and he, told, he tells about the, the experience there in prison, how they dreamed this dream, he and the baker. And, and there was, it says in verse 12, there was with us there, a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream, he did interpret. In other words, uh, he, he was the one that had wisdom, and it says according, uh, it says it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. <clears throat> In other words, he had the right interpretation. So what happened? The cupbearer remembered Joseph. The cupbearer was... Had been going along fine for two years. Do you think God might have been in this? You think God might have providentially prompted him to remember about Joseph? But now let me ask you this. Before we get too upset at the cupbearer. He should have remembered, all right? What if he'd thought about it two weeks after he got out? Where do you think Joseph would be right now? What do you think would have happened if the cupbearer, the, the butler here, said, Pharaoh, man, there's a guy down in prison. He's been unjustly convicted. He's been falsely accused. He's not even from here. But boy, he's got, he's got an inroad with God. Why don't, we, why don't we pardon him? Why don't we let him out? Where, where do you think Joseph would be? I don't think he'd be very close to the palace right now. I think he might have hightailed it for Israel, for Canaan, don't you think? Man, I'm getting out of here. I've had nothing but problems. Now I'm free. I can go. Listen to me. We're not talking about God using sins and the sinfulness of men to work things out, okay? But we are talking about God knowing the right timing. God knowing exactly what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. God didn't make the cupbearer forget, but he didn't remind him until the right time, did he? <laughs> so in this day, when this time comes, Pharaoh's had a dream, and there is a definite need here for the services of a man like Joseph. And notice that uh, this young Hebrew slave 
who 24 hours earlier was an unknown foreigner in prison. In verse 14, he stands before the mightiest man in the known world that day. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst interpret a dream or can understand a dream to interpret it. All right, Joseph, now's your chance. Take it while you can. Pharaoh, yeah, I've been known to interpret dreams before. You know, I probably could interpret your dream for you. But you know, I sure miss home. <laughs> Boy, I, I tell you what, if you would free me, if you would help me, then I'll help you. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours because it's all about me. It's all about me getting out. It's all about me trying to get to where I want to be. Is that not the temptation? I mean, it even makes sense, doesn't it? To just say, okay, well, hey, now's my shot. I better take it while I can. I, you know, I know God. I've trusted Him to this point. But surely the Lord now, He's expecting me to you know, quit relying on Him and start doing these things myself. How big is your God, Joseph? Is he big enough to trust right now? And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Pharaoh, don't, don't think I'm anything. I'm not, I'm not going to leverage my position here. I'm not going to market my skills here. I'm not going to come to you with some kind of bargain. Let me tell you, all I want to do in my life is glorify God because He's so big, He's such a big God that I can serve Him and I can trust Him to take care of me. He didn't try to capitalize on the opportunity. His own and, and main and only concern was for the glory of God. He said, don't look at me like I'm anything. Hey, it's all about God. It's all about God. You know, you have, we have that, we have that problem sometimes, don't we? That temptation, take credit for it. Boy, what's happening in there at Zion? Well, you know, we, we've been implementing a plan, you know, that we just, how'd y'all get to build, how'd y'all build it? Well, we sat down and we, we talked about it and we prayed about it to get God's blessing on it. You know, Lord just sprinkled a little prayer on it and Lord, you, you do for us what we know that, uh, that you need to do for us, okay? You know what I say when people ask me about Zion Church? Man, I don't really have a clue how we got here. <laughs> I just know the Lord did it. <laughs> Praise God. We had a lot of folks praying, a lot of folks working, but none of it would have worked out. None of it if God hadn't been in it and blessed it. So notice what happens. Pharaoh goes on in verses 17 down through 24, telling him about the dream. We won't recap the dreams. Verse 25, Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. And, and, and I'm going to paraphrase it for lack of time, but you read it. But basically he says the seven good cows 
are a representative of seven years. So the seven thin and emaciated cows are representative of seven more years. And, and the same thing with the, uh, with the corn. The corn is going to, uh, ears of corn that are good represent seven good years, and the ears of corn that are bad represent seven bad years. So in other words, God is about to do, in verse 28 he says, what God is about to do he showeth unto Pharaoh. He says, behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. In other words, it's going to be such a famine that you're going to forget about all the good of those seven years. The seven years of famine are going to be so bad that, that it's going to erase the memory of the good times. And then down in verse 33, not only did God give him a divine interpretation, but he also gave Joseph a divine plan. He starts telling him, he says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take, uh, uh, take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. In other words, one fifth of all that's produced, let, let Pharaoh take all of that and gather the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities, and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. In other words, here's the plan that God gave Joseph uh, to, to tell to Pharaoh that needs to happen. You appoint somebody to collect one-fifth of all the corn, grain, cattle, whatever it is that's, uh, uh, that's produced, and you put it in the storehouse and prepare for the seven years of famine. Okay? Now, understand, this didn't come from Joseph alone. This came from the wisdom granted by Joseph. God gave wisdom to Joseph. God gave wisdom to his servant to, to share with them this plan. And then God granted grace to Joseph. Notice as we continue here, the thing was good, verse 37, the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. Now, I'm convinced that Joseph wasn't thinking of himself when he suggested an administrator like this. I'm convinced that he was just saying, look, here's the dream. He had no hopes that he would be elevated. He wasn't planning to be elevated here. He said, look, here's what God has told me. This is what the dream means, and this is the best plan that you can implement to get through these bad times. I don't believe he was sitting there promoting himself. We don't read anything here that suggests that. But notice in verse 38, even though he was a pagan ruler... Pharaoh recognized a man blessed of God when he saw one. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? <laughs> you know, Laban told Jacob one time, he said, uh, he said over there in, in Genesis chapter 30, he said, I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for thy sake. If you will be faithful, child of God, if you will serve the Lord wherever you are in whatever situation you're in, if you'll try to be faithful to Him, I know you're not going to be perfect, but try. Try to be faithful. Be different from the world. People will recognize the difference and they may make fun of you at first. You may suffer like Joseph did at first, but there'll come a time when they'll say, wait a minute, this guy or this girl, they have, they have shown something different. They've shown wisdom that's not out there in the world. We're going to elevate them to a position of authority. We're going to go to them in time of need. Lot didn't think too much about Abraham when they were deciding where to pitch their tents. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. 
But it was Abraham that had to go rescue Lot as things got bad for him. We've got to move on. Our time is getting short. God granted grace to Joseph. Notice that as we continue reading, Pharaoh appoints him to be basically the prime minister. He said, Thou shalt be ruler, verse 40, over my house. And according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. He became second in command of the greatest nation on the face of the earth at this time. Joseph had a rewarding professional life. He had a rewarding professional career. He was promoted, and you're going to continue reading. We don't have time. You're going to continue reading there sometime, if you will, and you'll see that he, was, he had a rewarding career. It says that he was 30 years old in verse 46 when he stood before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Boy, that's a far cry from Genesis 37 and verse 2 where he was 17 years old out there being persecuted by his brothers, isn't it? Now he's 30 years old. 13 years later, he's standing before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he went out through all the land, and we're told that he gathered corn, and he did all these things that he was supposed to do. He had a wonderful, rewarding professional career. He also had a wonderful, rewarding, and blessed family life. Notice in verse 50, Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And notice their names. He called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And he called the name of the second Ephraim. You know what Manasseh means? Manasseh means forgetting or forgetfulness. And he explains why he named him this in verse 51. He said, For God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now he didn't forget his family in the sense of wiping them from his memory, but he forgot all the toil. He forgot all the problems. You know what he's saying here? You know, God has been so good to me that I can't help but forgive my family and put away those things that they've done. Now, did he forget what happened? No. You can't forget what happened. Only God can do that. But did he forgive what happened? Yes. Yes. And notice in verse 52... He called the name of his second son Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. <laughs> Ephraim means fruitful. It means blessed by God, you see, with fruitfulness. And I want to say to you, that's not my purpose in preaching this this morning, but I want you to know that Manasseh must always come before Ephraim. Forgiveness must always precede fruitfulness. If you are bearing grudges, if you are not forgetting these old things, forgiving these old hurts and these old problems, if you're wrestling with them, if you're walling around in them, you're never going to experience the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. You know, I've heard it said we can move on from things we can't get over. But you can't do that without forgiveness. Philippians tells us, you don't have to turn there, we don't have time, but sometime look at chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark. In other words, I'm not looking backward. I, I tend to do that. I'm sorry. I tend to always look back. I'm thinking, I remember when they did this to me and they did that to me and I had this problem and that problem. But Paul says in Philippians, don't do that. He says, laying aside those things that are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. God's promises, God's grace was sufficient for Joseph.
Let me, let me finish it up by this. I know our time's gone, but I, want to, I can't leave it there. God also not only granted grace to Joseph, but he granted grace to his people. Look, look down in verse 53. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth or famine began to come, according as Joseph had said. And he goes on to say that it was terrible times and all, of, all the problems of famine were there, but the storehouses... Uh, in verse 56 were opened by Joseph and he sold to the Egyptians. And in verse 57, listen to this, and all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was so sore in all lands. Beloved, this promotion, this blessing was not just for Joseph's sake. Okay? All countries benefited. Don't ever think that the blessings that God sends upon your life are like you winning your own personal lottery. That's not what it's about. It's not like winning the lottery. Oh, I can go spend and do what I want. We are always blessed in, in direct relation to how it affects other people. See, God was not just blessing Joseph to be promoted and say, poor guy, I want to give him something good. No, he was blessing him to be promoted to this position so he could bless his children and his brothers and sisters later down the road. We're going to see that as we get there. See, God's providential care for his obedient servant is, is, is something that he was, uh, he was doing in a, in, a, in a plan or a purpose for blessing ultimately his people that were stuck back over in Canaan in this famine. In fact, that's, that's what he says. Um, he tells us that on over in, in chapter 45, I believe it is. Chapter 45 and verse 4, Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me. In verse 5, he said, Be not therefore grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And we've talked about it. He didn't make them do what they did, but he providentially prepared to save them in this time of famine. So, as we bring this to a close, Joseph has gone from the prison to the palace. But it's not over yet. It's not over yet because Joseph still cannot see the future. He still cannot see the full picture. At this point, he's just said, Lord's blessed me. I've forgotten all those problems. I'm not going to have to deal with them. You know, it's easy to forgive somebody you don't have to see anymore, isn't it? Isn't it? I got people like that. People that have hurt me. They've done things to me. You know what? I've moved on. I forgot about it. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see them anymore. I don't have to deal with them anymore. You know what happens most of the time? You got to deal with them again. <laughs> you got to deal with them again. And it's not good enough to just say, I forgive and forget and don't come around me. I'm done. Okay. Now, now he's not going to seek them out. I understand that. I don't seek out those people. But at this point, he doesn't realize his faith is again going to be tested when his brothers come calling a few years later. In just a few years, seven, eight, ten years, he's going to have to deal with his brothers again. And maybe, just maybe this will be his biggest test. Joseph, how big is your God? How big is your God? You know, I want you to also notice that Joseph didn't do anything different 
when he was in the palace than when he was in the prison. He didn't change his whole plan. He just kept serving God. He just kept being diligent. He just kept being obedient. He just kept serving him and he realized that God had blessed him in so many ways and it wasn't just for himself alone. Now the last thing I want to leave with you is this and we won't spend much time on this but I don't want you to think that what I'm telling you is that if you'll just be obedient you'll get to be prime minister one day. (laughs) Okay? There's a lot of different paths to serving God. Think about Moses. Joseph was a, was a little shepherd boy that God elevated to the palace. Moses was born in the palace. He had to leave the palace to go out into the country to be a shepherd before he could come back and lead his people to freedom. Joseph led the people down into Egypt. <laughs> Moses had to lead them back out. You see, there's many different things that you may be called to do. But how big is your God? How big is your God? Is He big enough for your problems? Is He big enough for your setbacks? Is He big enough for your fears? Is He big enough to trust your future with? (laughs) Is He big enough to rely on and say, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what I'm about to experience. But my God is big enough that I know He's got me in His hands. Our God is the everlasting God. The eternal God is thy refuge, we're told. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So if we fall, we can't fall out of his arms. How big is your God? Is he big enough to trust and to serve in these kinds of situations? You know, if not, you just might need to trade your God in for Joseph's God. Because he's the eternal God of the Bible. (laughs) Praise God. He'll take us through everything. He'll take us all the way. And one day, like Dad, we'll be on our deathbed. He'll take us home. He'll take us home. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.